Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with all of you, see your families. Isn't it wonderful? Just praise the Lord. Thank God for what He's doing for us today. It's so good to be outside and to be together. We're starting a new series titled Buckle Up, and we'll be going through various stories, famous stories of people in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And here's the idea. When you know that you're in for a bumpy ride, you know that the road is going to be washboard or there's going to be a lot of potholes, you buckle up. You buckle up because it's the law. But I'm sure many of you have traveled on, on an airplane and all of a sudden the captain comes across the, the, the radio and says, all right, everyone, we're going to reach some turbulence, so therefore uh, make sure and buckle up. And I happened to me one time on a flight heading out toward Israel and it got so bumpy as we were leaving New York that all of the overhead bins began to just pile out on top of everybody. And people were jumping up, and it, we hadn't even got off the tarmac yet. And the, I can remember the stewardesses yelling, get back in your seats, get back in your seats. And it was an interesting flight, really. Glad to be here today. But we know that we're in for a ride. Everybody's anticipating this, aren't we? We're wondering, what is the outcome of our nation? What will this virus do to us financially? What will it mean for us, those of you who are experiencing things, going to school and training your kids? And what will this election bring for us? Well, it's time to buckle up because it's going to be bumpy. It's already been bumpy. But the good news is, is that God has given us a lot of examples in his word and in our own lives that would tell us that though he may call us to buckle up, it's because the ride will be worth it. The ride will be worth it. And a ride and a journey with God will always, may not always be fun. It may not always be like a carnival ride, but one thing for sure, it will be meaningful and it will be led by his will. And so this morning, we're going to talk about David and Goliath. And we've titled this message, The Death of a Giant. Before we get started, let's, uh, if you don't have it in front of you, but maybe you've memorized it, I, we love to open up the service with <clears throat> this affirmation. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I welcome all he has for me today. By his word, he guides me. By his spirit, he strengthens me. By his will, he's transforming me. I am his workmanship, his unique work of art. May his will be done in me today, and I receive it by faith, and all God's people said, <clears throat> amen. All right. Meeting giants is something that is common to our Christian experience. We've used that language quite a bit because this story of the battle between this Israelite David and the Philistine Goliath is one of the most famous military stories in the world for all time. Because it would seem at the beginning 
that it's a story of an underdog. It's a story of someone who shouldn't have won, but by the power of God, they win. And yes, for the most part, that's true. But as we find today, this particular story has some hidden things, hidden gems that we may have missed in our simple understanding of the text. Because what we're going to find out, like we find out in life, is that not every giant is as strong as they seem to be. There is a difference between true power and strength and visible dominance. People looked at Goliath and they were amazed. They said, this guy is overwhelming. He will overwhelm us. And they looked at David and sneered and said, he's just a boy. But my friends, as we get into this text today, we're going to see that the strength of Goliath was also his greatest weakness. And David's weakness also was his greatest strength. God, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for this group of folks and this beautiful day. And thank you for bringing us to New Mexico and allowing us to be a part of your kingdom and your work. Lord, we ask that as we go through this passage that you would <clears throat> shed insight into our lives, Lord, because we know it's a time to buckle up. It's time to uh, get ready because the ride is bumpy and going to get worse. But we know, Lord, that we're in your world. We are in your path and we are following you. So, Lord, we ask that you would fill us with that confidence as we, we buckle up and ride along with you. All right. First Samuel chapter 17 it says, now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokah in Judah. And basically what happens is that <clears throat> they came in from the east, I mean, from the southern end up to the valley of Elah, which is a very important place throughout all of Old Testament scripture, but it's especially marked for this battle. The Israelites came to meet them on the other side of the valley, on the northern end, and there they stood. <clears throat> the Israelites on the northern end and the Philistines on the southern. And so they gathered for battle as ancient armies would do. Now, the interesting thing about these armies is that they were a collective of, say, people from, you know, your local community. Many of them were shepherds or farmers agrarians or maybe even you know, stonemasons. There were people from the community who would step up and volunteer and come out to war. They had a king by the name of Saul. He was their first king and he was the people's choice. God said, why haven't you chosen me? I would lead you. But they said, we want a king like the rest of the countries around us. And so they got Saul and Saul was pretty good, but Saul was still lacking. Let's meet our giant, Goliath. <clears throat> it says in verse 4 that he was a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, and he came out of the Philistine camp, and his height was about six cubits and a span. So there is debate as to how tall he would be. Some, at a most conservative estimate, would say that he was over six and a half feet tall, which in that day was still a giant in comparison to everybody else. 
However, it is also suggested that he could have been upwards of close to nine feet tall, even back then. So you can imagine his appearance as he appeared out in front of everybody else, head and shoulders standing almost double the height of the people that he was opposing. All right. He had a bronze helmet and his head on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That means it weighed about 125 pounds, and it would be a series of all of these bronze scales that would go all the way down his body. And then it tells us that he wore these big, long shin guards made of brass, and he had a javelin on his back and a spear that had, was as large as a, as a weaver's beam. That means that everybody back then knew that that was a big, huge spear, and it had an iron tip on it, and it was shaped like a flame. And so he was a very, very imposing, imposing guy, okay? He also had, it's interesting to note here, is that he had a shield bearer. He had someone that went ahead of him, okay? Now, here's Goliath's purpose in this fight. They needed numbers to fight the other army. That's numbers counted so much in warfare and still does. But the Philistines had somebody that was unique. They had somebody who had the ability to intimidate, and this was his job. Uh, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you're not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. He was calling for a very single combat. You know, what, what would happen is if you could get one person to come down and fight another person and they would be representative for the rest of them, that way you could really stop the bloodshed and it would be minimal uh, casualties. Now, he says here, if he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your servants. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become my subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, the king, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Okay? Now, you think, why would they be terrified? You know, uh, numbers can help. Numbers are powerful. Well, here's the big issue. is why do they have this huge giant who is <clears throat> covered in armor, no doubt gleaming in the sun? He has one of the most biggest and terrifying spears that they know that could pierce through any one of them. And none of them, probably not real complete, trained fighting individuals are willing to go out against this professional. For no doubt, this was all that he did. And then they had to wonder superstitiously as well, what kind of gods or God does this army serve that they would provide for them someone like him and who would defy our armies and our God? They served the god, the Philistines did, of Dagon. And I'm telling you, if you were to line up 
and see this man telling you, come fight me, there was not one in the crowd who was ready to do it. Listen, there are problems that arise. There are problems that arise for us individually that can be daunting. And we've all faced them, either medical, financial, emotional, relationship, whatever it may be. We face them and we, we know when we are being intimidated by a giant. But he has come to intimidate a group of people, a people group who are God-fearers. And you have to know this something. My friends, as believers, there are forces that come against God's people from time to time. And they usually have some great foaming mouthpiece that is ready to strike fear in the hearts of everyone because it would seem that they're insurmountable. I mean, when you're in Bible study together and when you're in prayer groups together, everything seems possible. But when you're alone in your home and nobody else is there with you, you wonder, and is there someone ready to take up the guard against this foe? Now, enter David and his family. David was the son of an Ephrathite, which was someone from Bethlehem. His name was Jesse, and he was getting pretty old by this time. Um, it, it's not Jesse James. He, he wasn't an outlaw, actually. I know many of you have been confused. I'm here to clear that up. All right. But he had his three oldest sons there. He had his firstborn, Eliab, the second, Abinadab, and the third, Shema. And David was the youngest out of eight boys. Um, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So here's the picture. The older brothers went to war. Dad, who was beyond years of fighting, stayed at home. And the youngest brother stayed at home and took care of the flock, but would go back and forth and deliver provisions from the family to his brothers so that they could continue fighting. All right. This is a very telling verse, verse 16. They came to a stalemate. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took a stand. Okay? 40 days. Sound familiar? Yeah, that's what we're going to be doing praying 40 days up into the election, not for our favorite candidate, but we're praying for the kingdom of God and his will to be done in our lives. Make that clear. Let God choose. Let God be glorified in everything that we do. Now, the young brother brings provisions from home, okay? And he moves in, and all of a sudden, you hear... The war cries. Look at verse 28 or 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock in care of the shepherd and loaded up and set out. And Jesse had directed he should reach the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. And David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and ask his brothers how they were. Because his dad said, here's three things I want you to do. I want you to take the food down there, ask how your brothers are doing, and then come back and let me know what's going on. All right? David, young 
impressionable, and some <laughs> interested in war immediately goes to find his brothers and find out what's going on. Now, here's what happened. In this 40 days of stalemate, there were those who feared, and then there was one who was angered at the words of Goliath. Look at verse 23. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine, the champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted the usual defiance. And David heard it. And whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. You say, well, why didn't they just start the fight? Well, here's the problem. The battle site that they had chosen was a valley, a ravine. So therefore, if you were going to fight, you would have to leave the high position of the side, north or south, and then go down into the valley, and on their way and to meet the enemy, you would have to come up, which it would be basically a suicide mission. So no one was willing to budge. And so to get things going, you would have Goliath going out there and saying, come on, chickens, fight me, fight me. Who's man enough to do it? Now, what's interesting is that the tallest guy, the biggest guy in their camp was Saul, the king. But he's like, you know, <clears throat> I don't really, I don't, I don't do that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just not my thing, really. I do king stuff, not really dying at the hand of a giant. Yeah, so you guys get out there. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel, and the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Now, you talk about a real incentive. That's a good incentive, right? I mean, we don't know what his daughter looked like or how much the taxes were, but still, that would be a handsome incentive. Now David asked the men near him, what will be done for the man that kills this Philistine? So they told him what was going on. And he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistines that he should divide or defy the armies of the living God? And so they repeated to him what had been said, and this was what will be done for them. Then you have this family conflict which David's motives are being questioned. His eldest brother, of course, would see his young punk brother, the baby of the family, the one that gets all the petting, the one that gets all the favors. I know that because I'm a baby of the family. And I had it better than the other kids. My parent, Usually the parents don't know what they're doing until they finally get to the baby and then they relax. But anyway, <clears throat> that's why I'm so well-adjusted. Now, okay, his oldest brother heard him speaking with the men, and he burned with anger and said to him, Why did you come down here, and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now, this is the perfect little brother response. He says, Now what have I done? <coughs> now what have I done? My big brother, down my neck all the time. Gee, Wally, can't you just take it easy on the beef? And David said, 
Can't I even speak? And then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered as, as before. Then Saul hears about it. There's rumor in the camp. There's this kid. Uh, he's out there, and he's saying he, he, he's going to fight Goliath for us. And so Saul brings him in and wants to talk to him. And uh, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of the Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he has been a warrior, Goliath has, from his youth. Now notice this. Even Saul recognized that this guy was no match for who he thought Goliath was. Here's the thing about Goliath. Here's the thing about giants. Until you have confronted one personally, you do not know exactly the makeup and the power structure and the strength of that giant. You don't. Saul thought he knew. All the men thought they knew that if they faced him, they would die. But David had a different perspective, and here's why. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair and struck it and killed it. Okay, now here is where the pudding is made here. If it's real, if it's true. Because if he's lying... He's about to find, <laughs> we're about to find out that he's a liar and Goliath will have his hide. But he says, look, I've fought a lion. I fought a bear. I don't know about you guys, but that is a very terrifying situation. But that's the kind of determination that he had. That's the kind of determination that David had. That was his experience with God. That was something unique to his nature, unique to his character that God had put in him that he says, well, you're not going to take off my sheep. You're not going to run off with my thing. I'm going to go for it. And he killed him and he overcame them and he conquered. You see, he said, your servant killed both a lion and a bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear rescued me from the, will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. That is a kind of determination that is hard to beat. But we also know that it could be an inflated ego, couldn't it? But what would happen if it was? Nothing really. Just a young man would sadly be slain on the battlefield, and the dilemma would move on. But David was sure, because he had experienced God's help in the past, that he could trust God today with something that made everyone so afraid. If you've walked with the Lord for any time, you have seen the hand of God in ways that you cannot deny. Can anyone say amen to that? You have. And then now you're facing something that's totally different and unique, and it feels like a giant. <clears throat> but if you've had experience with God, you know that he is faithful. And that was David's mindset. He said, 
How can I deny the truth I know about God already? And some of you haven't been tried yet. You haven't faced the things that you're new in the faith and you say, uh, man, this is just terrifying to me. What I'm facing right now, maybe what our country is facing right now is terrifying to me and I, I, I don't know how to respond. That's why we listen to folks who've gone before us. That's why these stories are so powerful. Because if it was a mere myth, it wouldn't sound, it wouldn't be written this way. This is a very true account of real people. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 38, we find that the way that it was supposed for him to fight would not do. David would fight his own way. Verse 38, Saul dressed David up in his own tunic, uh, put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened the sword in the tunic and tried to walk around. Because he was not used to them, he said, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. He took them off. And he took his staff in his hand, which a shepherd would keep with him, and five smooth stones from the stream and put them in his pouch in a shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. You see, the conventional wisdom would say, you need armor. Goliath is covered in over 125 pounds of armor. He was ready for hand-to-hand -hand combat. But that wasn't David's calling. That wasn't David's strength. And it would be seen as a weakness. Who would go up against this giant without protective armor? Bulletproof gear. Why would you do something like that? He said, because I'm not used to it. It's not the way that I'm used to fighting. But everyone would say, even the king, this is what you need to be safe. But he shook it off and trusted his instincts, even, they were, even though they were unconventional, because he knew the Lord. All right, Goliath's strength truly is his weakness. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer, and it gives you the idea that he was moving slowly toward David. He looked over David and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. You know, sometimes there's always haters. Those of us who are really good looking, you're always going to have your haters who just hate you, and so you just got to live with it, you know. He said, am I a dog that you come down to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, Dagon. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Here's the problem. Here's the hidden weakness of the giant. The giant had a problem. Many medical experts uh, who've looked at this particular passage have said that he had a very serious medical condition called uh, acromegaly. Acromegaly is, is, the, is a disease where there are tiny benign tumors which can grow continually large around the pituitary gland, um, speed up 
the production of growth hormones and the person continues to grow and to grow out of control. In fact, uh, the world's largest, tallest man for that to ever happen was a guy by the name of Robert Wadlow, and he died at 22 years of age, and at his death, he was 8 foot 11 inches tall and still growing, okay? It's a natural occurring phenomenon. Here's the problem with it, is that because growth happened so quick and it was overwhelming to the body, often the body would be slowed. There would be great pressure upon the joints, great pain. Also, as the, uh, the tumors around the pituitary gland would grow, it would begin to seize around the, the nerves leading to the optics. So oftentimes, most often, in advanced stages, they would have blurry vision. We notice in the text that David said he picked up his staff and his sling. And <laughs> Goliath says, you am I a dog that you come to me with these sticks? Somebody has a case, possibly, maybe it's far-fetched, of double vision. That would give us a reason why he had a armor bearer in front of him, a shield carrier. You see, because with this type of, of fight, typically the only person that would have a shield bearer that would walk before them would be someone as an archer who had both hands occupied at the same time. And probably he was someone who would point the way for Goliath and allow him, because his sight was probably diminished, it allowed him to move forward. He was like someone saying, you're 10 feet ahead, walk straight ahead, you've got it. And he wasn't able to really see David until it was really almost too late, okay? Notice David's response. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come to you against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down, cut off your head. This very day, I will give your carcass to the Philist of the Philistine army, to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered will know that it's not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he, give, and he will give all into our hands. Those are some powerful words for a little kid but he knew God would do it. You see, learning to trust God out in the pasture when nobody else is around, when nobody can see, when you're going about your daily work, which is his job as a shepherd was to take care of the sheep. And so as a part of that, he came to trust and know that God was faithful even when nobody else was watching. God was faithful in the very little things in his life. And so when it came down to something really big, it came down to something that was really tough. He knew that he could trust him and he could say such words, not boasting, because we're going to find out it wasn't a boast. It's not bragging if you can actually do it. 
It's a fact. Now, here is where we find David's strength. In his faith in God, but something that would be seen as his weakness is that he isn't wearing armor. Goliath is. What can this little kid with a stick and a sling do? Well, in ancient armies, you'd be divided into three groups. You would have the cavalry, okay, that you'd have horses and horses and chariots. And they were great for advancing in on the troops rather quickly. But then you would have those who were infantry soldiers who would have long spears and they could set up and guard against horses and chariots that were coming in. But then you also had the third group, which was artillery, which were <clears throat> archers and who we call the slingers. You don't hear much about them, but if you read your history all the way up until recent times, even in the Irish, they were known for being so accurate that they could hit a coin as far as they could see it. Those who carried a sling were very, very dangerous very dangerous artillery persons because it is estimated by experts that the velocity of one of those stones, oftentimes they would round off stones, but David knew that he could find all that he needed down smooth in the riverbed. But they could send those stones at a velocity within just a second or so spin them around up, upwards of six times a second and release that stone into the air. And if they were accurate, and they had to be accurate, it was as just as powerful as a forty-five caliber bullet. So David shows up, and Goliath is saying, Come to me. Come to me. The conventional wisdom would say, he wants to duel with somebody with hand-to-hand combat, infantry style, shield, sword, javelin. And that is why everyone was afraid to go down to him. Because if you got close to that big windmill, you're going down. He's breaking bones. He's knocking you out. If you fight his way, you will get taken out and the birds will be feeding on your carcass. But David had no intention. He said, I don't know how to fight that way and I don't know what the rules are, but I'm going to take my sling and I'm going to run in at him. So before he could really see and and really understand, oh no, I'm in trouble. Because These artillery guys usually were stationed quite far away, but this young kid is running upon him, and that means the closer he is, the greater the impact. And if if he didn't hit uh, him at the beginning, he had four more stones to just ring off at him. And really, Goliath was at a disadvantage. What seemed his strength was actually his disadvantage because he really had no way to protect himself. And so what happens? As the Philistine moved closer to the attack, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag, taking out his stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. 
They were deadly accurate. Do you, any of you remember the movie uh, later, um, Raiders, wait, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Anybody see that movie? Shame on you. It's a very terrible. Now, it's a good movie. There's that scene when you have the archaeologist Indiana Jones and he's, he's running out and, and he meets this guy who is a swordsman who's just swinging his sword around and it's like, oh man, this guy is absolutely amazing and you're going to die. And he looks at him for a second and just, he's like, I don't have time for this. He pulls out his gun and shoots the guy and then runs off. David had that kind of ability. The world <clears throat> may look at you as disadvantaged. You may feel that you're not up to a battle with a giant that the world may deem as powerful, ominous, too big. And there goes the notes. I guess it's time to quit. Here's the bottom line. He went up there and he cut his head off. And you say, well, that's kind of bloody. Well, that's what a battlefield is all about. There's nothing pretty in a battlefield. That would be commonplace in a battlefield. I'm not using this as a reason for violence in your life, no. We learn from the principles of this story, the principles of a warrior. And here it goes. Your giant, whatever you're facing, whatever we are facing as a community, is not as strong as it may seem to others and to us at the time. Our giant strength may also be its ultimate undoing and weakness. What we have to do when we enter in and we buckle up and get ready and enter into a time that may seem like a battle and battle lines are drawn, the best thing that we can do is trust upon God who has been faithful in the past that he'll be faithful in the future. But at the same time, we have to put away conventional wisdom that says this is how it should be done. That's why we've called for 40 days of prayer. You Christians going to sit around and pray? Seems kind of lazy. Seems kind of useless. Seems like that doesn't make much sense. Why are you going to do that? Here's some actions that you can take. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, we're told in the New Testament, but against principalities and powers of darkness. And if there was ever a time to pick up the battle line and go in, it's now. And to use the unconventional sling that God has given us. If you have seen victory in prayer, my friends, now's the time not to be dismayed or to be afraid or to be intimidated by anything it's the time to realize that God has been faithful, will be faithful. And though it may seem unconventional, it is the best. 
Who can in this nation can fault you for praying? I don't like that. That's not fair. Stop asking God for stuff. <laughs> right? What is violent and obstinate against your nature in prayer? Nothing. It is the calling card of God's people. And so, if you're not on our email list, call on Monday morning. We put you on our email list. It'll go out on Thursday. But you'll have a list of prayers that begin on Friday, and it will go throughout the week. And, and the great thing about joining into this is you don't have an option. I'm going to hold your feet to the, to the nice sunshine and the tar. You don't have an option. You know, this is not an opportunity for you. Everything doesn't have to be an opportunity. This is a calling from God that his people show up, that we're not moved by or entangled in all of the cares that would weigh us down and cause us to be afraid and shake and freak out. No. We've been called to act, to step up. Buckle up, step up, God's going to show up, okay? Copyright, Dave Rao. No. <laughs> Website, no. All right, <clears throat> we have a calling. We have communication with God. Sacrifices need to be made. And when we come through the end, no matter what the outcome we will have heard from God and we will move with God into the future and be a blessing to our whole nation. Do you want to be a blessing or a curse to the people around you? Well, I, I kind of always wanted to be a curse, but I guess I'll be a blessing. No, no, it's not our calling. Well, I want to thank you for this because you see, just before all this happened, David had been anointed king by the prophet Samuel. God had rejected the people's choice, Saul. Saul didn't know it yet, but he had anointed David. And David would become to be known as a man after God's own heart, willing to stand up for God in the face of opposition from his own people and the enemy itself. And if you and I want to be people who are, have hearts after God himself, then let's stand on his behalf when no one else will. Thank you, Father, for our time together. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this crowd of folks and the folks who are going to be baptized this morning. We pray, Lord, that um, your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven, that you would give us strength and boldness, Lord, to stand when we need to stand, kneel when we need to kneel, to be humble when you call us to be humble. But Lord, we're in it for the ride with you. We pray that you would bless this nation, bless this fellowship, and bless Albuquerque, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. 
nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.